You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. The fires. Prozac pacifiers. I mentioned last week that Back in 2012, I went through about six months of having panic attacks almost every day, at least every other day. And I've described them to people who've asked me, what's it like living with panic attacks? And I I tell them, this is the best analogy that I have, it's like a shark that dwells in the ocean, deep in the ocean. And with prolonged stress, that shark starts to rise from the depths. And it creeps up, right, getting closer and closer to the surface where now it's just living right under that surface. And then out of nowhere, (laughs) for seemingly no reason, it breaches the water and wreaks havoc on an unsuspecting victim. In this case, the victim was me, all right? And I learned when I talked to my doctor and and got counsel from other believers that I might not ever get rid of that shark. I might not ever banish that shark out of the ocean of my life. But there were things I could do to return it to the depths, right? That it's not having to live at that surface with the potential of wreaking havoc. One of the ways that this helped was getting medication from a doctor. I've tried to be explicitly clear about this. I have nothing to hide. I don't have anything to be ashamed of. And he prescribed me two medications. One medication was what they call a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. If you want to know what that is, just write SSRI and Google that. That's the easiest way. And it was prescribed to me to treat depression. And then there was another medication that was a minor tranquilizer that was used to help address the panic attacks. And then eventually both of those medications went away and, and I was on one for a really long time. For some Christians, just the very notion of a, a Christian taking psychotropic medications, much less a pastor, poses a problem. Though I do not present the following as medical advice, you need to go talk to your doctor. I am persuaded that the relationship between mind and body is affected by both spiritual and physical factors. The best way I think about this one, here's another analogy, so you got my shark one, but here's another one like a piano, all right? Stacy gets up behind this piano this morning, right? And she's able to make music with that piano. Now, if you took Stacy, and as brilliant as she is as a musician, if that piano was out of tune, no matter how brilliant she was, would it make the music you'd want to hear? No. Now, think about it this way. What if that piano is in tune, but I got behind that piano? Right? There's no reason for that piano not to function well other than the person in control. And I believe the relationship between mind and body, they're a lot like that. There are times when our mind can play so rough on the piano, our bodies, that you won't get a a happy sound. (laughs) You won't enjoy your life. And then there's times where there are biological factors, chemical factors in your own body that makes it out of tune and wreak havoc on the mind to where you don't get that music either. It works both ways. 
So some anxiety and depression are biological in their source and they affect the mind. There are other anxieties and depressions that come from the mind, decisions you make, choices you take, thoughts you think, right? And affect the body. And so the way to address this, and this is my humble opinion having lived through it and done my own personal research, is it takes a holistic approach of both mind and body. The doctor instructed me after he gave me those medications that I could experience some side effects. It's important that you know that. And I'll tell you this, for the first two weeks, I finally eased up and I slept all the time. (laughs) I I remember one day so vividly, I came in from work. I had put my like knee in a chair, kind of like this, just to get turned around. And I fell asleep just like that in that position. My wife's like, you're okay? And I was like, I mean, it was just great. Because for so long, my anxiety, I would, y'all, this is what it was like. You, you would go to bed and stare at a ceiling for eight hours. That's what my body was running off of. And so I slept for like two weeks, and I'll never forget. Like one day I woke up, I, 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 and I felt like crazy me again. <laughs> I remember calling Dad, and, and I, I called my dad. I said, Dad, I feel like me. He's like, well, well good. <laughs> but I felt normal again. Occasionally, that anxiousness still revisits. I think, you know, my average now, I might have, might have a panic attack a year, maybe. But the point is this, it's not debilitating, and it's not keeping me from the pulpit. You might pray that today, but it's not keeping me from doing this. And then there's a group of Christians. I call them under-discipled Christians, with gentleness and respect, who say... Isn't that just mean you're weak? Doesn't that just mean you're fragile? Should I not just suck it up, buttercup? For some, you get the impression that if you have anxiety or depression, you're probably just not a Christian. And I want to let you know this. I used to think those things until they came up in my life. You get the impression from under-discipled Christians that it would all be better. It would maybe even go away if you just read the Bible. I can say this with 100% certainty. I was reading the Bible. But that type of thinking, and I posted this online through my channels this week, that type of thinking only makes sense if you treat this book like it's a magic spell book. Let me explain. The, sin, the scriptures can become, can become sinfully burdensome to your mental health if what you think about them is I can read a scripture, recite it, say it out loud, and magically all of my worries and problems will go away. That is not how you handle God's word. In his little book, Wishful Thinking, Frederick Buechner defines what a Christian is for the uninitiated. You ready to hear his definition of what a Christian is? He says this, a Christian isn't necessarily any nicer than anybody else. He concludes, just better informed. Just better informed. You say, what do you mean by that? 
Being a Christian does not make me superior to the unbelievers around me. It does give me options that the unbeliever does not have or does not know is available to him. That's the difference. The Word of God is informing me about my anxiety. In fact, and I'll start a study uh, next week, where Bible during COVID, we, we talked about this, Mental health issues, specifically anxiety, rose from 10% to 40%. You know what else rose in that same time? Bible engagement. More people were reading their Bibles than before. You would think, well, if everybody's reading their Bible, anxiety and worry should just be crushed. No, it wasn't. What did go up was this, was what they call this hope test. The feeling that things might get better. The feeling that you have options even when you're backed into a corner. And that's what the Word of God does to us. It's not going to sit there and magically make those things go away. But it can equip you to how to live and navigate through tumultuous times. The call to become a Christian is not to lay aside your worries. In fact, you'll pick up some you weren't concerned about before. But the difference is you're not doing it alone. You have His Word, His Spirit, and His church. That the unbeliever does not have. There is hope to cope from Jesus. Specifically last week, we looked at the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I dubbed it His first panic attack. I like what was messaged to me this week. It says, there's times in our lives when we must accept that God may not remove what can seem to be a miserable time. That's difficult. But we can trust the sovereign care of God that He is working all of these things out for our eternal good and glorification. That Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before Him. Though sometimes you don't feel that joy in that garden. It was a different garden that He felt that joy in. A resurrection garden. But note this, whether it's anxiety or illness... You can pray for strength, and I trust God to send His ministering angels to you. I do believe that. Today, this is a ground zero passage that people go to to kind of make that assumption that if we would just read the Word and read what Jesus said and just kind of say this out loud and over our lives, then anxiety should vanish. And and my stake today my my claim is that i think you've grossly misinterpreted what matthew 6 is about jesus has just said in matthew 6 that his disciples should not hoard their resources for earthly financial security such actions reveal that the disciple is living just for this world and not the next One's approach to money betrays one's spiritual allegiance because often, and this is what Jesus is warning his, desi- uh, his disciples about, our des- desire for earthly financial security and God's eternal will sometimes don't line up. They don't overlap. There will be times where God goes, I want you to do this. And you go, well, that may not look good for my bottom line. And God's like, okay. <laughs> no skin off his back. What happens when a disciple pushes his chips all in on God's way? Jesus anticipates anxiety. That's what I love about our Savior. The minute he preached it, he knew. And the next subject is anxiety. What happens?
happens when you put your financial well-being to the side in order to follow Jesus? He goes, I know you're worried about what I just said. If we set aside our jobs, careers, and financial obligations to serve King Jesus and address his concerns, what are we supposed to eat? What will we drink? What will we clothe our bodies with? Dr. Jim Gant, he's the executive director of Northeast Georgia Christian Counseling. He emailed me this week in light of this sermon series, and he was walking through Matthew 6 and, and how he understood that text. And, and the gist of the, the, the question is, what we're asking ourselves, is Jesus saying in this passage that anxiety, any anxiety, is sin, and that simple trust in God will remove all anxiety. And, and I agree 100% with Dr. Gant. That's not what this passage is about at all. At all. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Therefore, now let's just pause right there at that one word. You're like, man, it's going to be a long sermon today. One hermeneutical or science of biblical interpretation move you want to make, and this is like old school, but anytime you see a therefore, ask yourself, what's that therefore? So if you start reading in verse 25 and you begin to make your how to address anxiety sermon without reading what happened before, you're, you're missing the point. You've got to read what happens before. Like I just said, I reviewed the context. He's just talking about laying aside earthly treasures to pursue the kingdom. Man, well, what happens about money? Therefore, right? He says, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap. Now, real quick, Tom, real, real quick. If, if he's using an analogy of birds, and birds are standing in for people, disciples of Jesus, and he's saying that birds don't sow or reap, what's he saying? There are certain aspects that a disciple won't have to work for. That's hard to fathom. And I'll explain what that means in a moment. He says this, They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Verse 27, can any of you add one moment to your lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. He's saying, where do they get their clothes from? He's hitting at it. Verse 29, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor, that's King Solomon, was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you little faith? He says, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, eager, Gentiles unbelievers in this sense, eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And all God's people said, amen. Right, Jesus? We agree. A couple of things I want you to take away from today. Write this down. There is hope to cope in God's word. 
I do not want you coming away today and says, Josh said, just take some meds and don't read your Bible. (laughs) That is a gross misunderstanding of what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. There is hope to cope in this passage, but let's not misapply this passage. Biblical depictions of anxiety range in various degrees from concern for something, which is proper, denoting essential anxiety, to dread of something, and the object may be something that God doesn't want you to fear, which would be unessential anxiety. Essential anxiety are things like this. It's when parents exhibit concern for the well-being of their children. That's good anxiety. Okay? When you, as a member of this local church, are concerned for the welfare of another brother or sister in Christ... Good anxiety. All right? The personal distress that is precipitated by sickness, war, or or natural disasters. I'm not saying you want to live in that. But what I mean is it's a natural understanding. Right? War is coming. You should be anxious. A hurricane is coming. You should be anxious. That's okay to have that initial response. God put that mechanism in there for a reason so you wouldn't do something stupid. All right? The Psalms give frequent expression to such feelings. But is Jesus teaching that even to have, to be afraid of sickness, to be afraid of war, to, to not be concerned for your children, is that what Jesus is saying in this passage? Surely not. That's not what he's getting at. The anxiety Jesus is speaking of here is a particular anxiety that comes from a particular circumstance that he's created. He knows it. The therefore, if you wanted to know what what was therefore, therefore. Jesus has essentially just said this. Obedience to his commands will make you dependent upon God's provision for survival. Now that's still terrifying, but it's the truth. Did you catch what he said? If you're doing what Jesus wants you to do, there will be times you go, well, where are we going to get our needs met? That's that's an essential anxiety that's a part of the Christian life. Is Jesus actually saying that God's kingdom work is so valuable and so great that you should put aside your financial security and steady employment for his sake. Yes. I have nothing to hide there. That's what Jesus is saying. And if that doesn't create, like, the fact that it created anxiety in the disciples means that's how they understood it. You go, wait a minute, Jesus. Is that really what you're calling us to? If you feel anxious about that, that radical obedience, which is really just normal obedience to Jesus, then this passage is for you. (laughs) Write this down. The preeminent preoccupation of all of Jesus' disciples is God's kingdom. I'll say it again. The preeminent preoccupation of all of Jesus' disciples is God's kingdom. It's not just the pastor who is concerned for God's kingdom. If you take up the banner of Jesus and you call yourself a Christian, your number one job is making much of Jesus, period. That's your essential identity. Everything else 
flows into that. It's not subservient to that. It's not even equal to that. That's it. That's our goal. Whatever consonant actions we take in response to that holy concern. If we go, my job is to further the kingdom. And whatever actions you take to further the kingdom, here's what Jesus is saying. God is promising to supply all we need. If he knows, if you're sacrificing something that you need in order to further God's kingdom, God's saying, I got your back. That's what that text is saying. And may I suggest this, church, take this with you. That goes for not just the individual believer. That goes for our corporate life as well as a church. Church, if we march forward wanting to make much of Jesus and advance the kingdom, God will make sure our needs are met here at Mount Carmel. He will. And he's been good to this church. All right? So let's stay faithful. Let me give you an example. Would Jesus actually call people away, call his disciples away in the middle of a work day? I got book, chapter, verse. You ready? Mark chapter 1, verse 20. Mark 1, 20. Immediately he, referring to Jesus, called them, the disciples, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Please understand, Jesus was not calling his disciples like from a fishing trip. This was their career. This was their livelihood. This was the business they were going to inherit from their dad. His, the dad called everybody together. They were going out to the sea. He even hired people. Said, we're going to spend some time out there getting our fish. Let's go sell them. And what did Jesus do? He come up alongside and said, not today you're not. Come on. And they went. Do you understand how that scenario could create anxiety going, well, what are we supposed to eat, Jesus? And he's like, I already told you about that. Come on. You see how that works? Jesus called them away from their careers. Jesus will call you away from your work to teach a Sunday school class. Jesus will call you away from that promotion you've always wanted to be available to lead a ministry for him. Jesus will call you away from that American dream to go serve somewhere overseas. And the way he sees it, this is when we talk about that lion-like sovereign care of God, it's no big deal. It's the kingdom. Why wouldn't you? Seeking the kingdom. I'm, you, <laughs> seeking Jesus' kingdom will interfere with your ideal income, career, and lifestyle. It will. So when there is a conflict... Between your work and God's work, what happens? What are you supposed to do? This is not a question, church, of God interfering with our work. God does not view it that way. God only sees as our work interfering with his work. There is no other work for him. Our choice for us, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, I need you to know this. Your decision has already been made when it comes down to my work or God's work. That's a part of what it means to be a disciple of King Jesus. Write this in. God's work shapes our work involvement, not our work shaping our involvement in God's work. You see how the order goes? This is 
and this is not reserved, so you know this, this is not reserved for pastors, deacons, Sunday school teachers, you know, these leaders you look up to. The, the culture of, of a disciple in his life are saying always I'm about Jesus' business, first and foremost. We don't, like, I'll, I'll make it real practical. We don't schedule the things of God after we've established our work schedule. No, no. God's on the schedule. And everything else works around Him. That's it. It's bottom line. Now, should you get anxious about the next paycheck? Jesus is certainly inferring, yeah, I understand why you would. But He's also assuring you of God's sovereign care. God is aware. He knows when you decide to put something aside to do it for him. He sees it. He's aware. And this was what happens. You can write this down. His concern for me frees me to care for his concerns. It's an act of faith. I am trusting that when I go out and do anything for the kingdom, God's got my back. He's got me. He's going to take care of me. Unessential anxiety. The stress that we often feel in our life manifests with an ungodly concern about provision. Let me say this, church. I think you have every reason to be anxious if you know your needs aren't being met, but you're also not pursuing the kingdom. See how it's, it's both at the same time. Notice, God's not saying, I promise to meet every believer's needs. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I meet the needs of those pursuing the kingdom. Completely different. Right? If we want to go and act like a fool <laughs> and throw disregard on the advancement of God's kingdom, there is no promise for you here. You know that passage where it says, my God shall supply all your need according to your riches and glory at the end of Philippians chapter 4. That's after they had sent an offering to Paul in partnership with the gospel. Paul was saying, I see your gift. God does too. And this isn't a sermon about giving to the church. I'm talking about your priorities. That's what this is about. Jesus frees you from being that worldly workaholic. <laughs> what are you getting ahead for <laughs> if we know how it all ends? So what should you be anxious about? The kingdom. Be concerned about the kingdom. Now, I know when I say the kingdom, that sounds like hurrah, pastor, for the kingdom. What does that mean? What does that look like to be anxious about Jesus' kingdom? I'm going to hit you with these bullets real quick. Number one, be anxious for repentance. Be anxious for repentance. You can't enter the kingdom apart from acknowledging you are a sinner. So let's be concerned. Are, let me ask you, are you for saying, Jesus, I am a sinner and need the forgiveness of my sin? If that is a part of who you are, you're anxious for the right things. To go on in this life anxious about other things but not the forgiveness of your sin is lunacy in the height of foolishness. Number two, don't be anxious for worldly splendor. Worldly splendor. The Bible sees it over and over again. It's passing away. It's passing away. Don't get trapped, right? Scroll on through the social media. Look what so-and-so's got. I don't have that. It's a deadly trap. It's a deception. All right? Celebrate them. Thank God for their gifts. You be content and move on. 
Don't be anxious for worldly splendor. Number three, be anxious for following Jesus. Following Jesus, trusting and obeying our King. The, the Bible teaches this over and over again. Wherever the King is, there's the kingdom. So you want to see the kingdom advance in your life? Then follow everything that Jesus commands. Go read it in the Gospels, then go do it. And you will be pursuing the kingdom. Because you can't obey the king and somehow not be in the kingdom. See how that works? Number four, be anxious for the preaching of the gospel or for preaching the gospel. The, the gospel, the preaching of the gospel is inextricably tied to the furtherance of the kingdom. You can't further the kingdom without gospel proclamation that our king died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day in accordance with the scripture. It's only in surrender and submission to that message are you, do you become a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. All right? Now, can I say a couple of things? I want to pause. This, this is a good time to get... Bring it right to your front porch. If you're not here today, this is more for those who are online. All right, so everybody here, you get to pass for just a second. If you're not here today, but you would have risked it and ventured out and come to church, if we still had the church vote, you need to repent. I'll say it again. I know people on, on the other side going, what? <laughs> All right? If you're not here today, but you would have come if we had the church vote, you need to repent. The preached word and worship with the saints are why we gather. No church vote will ever surpass that. Ever. There's no deacon you could elect. There's no property you could sell. There's no person you could hire that's more important than God's Word. Ever! If you're not here out of concerns for COVID, you've got my blessing. If you saw today as a get-out-of-church card, you do not. One thing that I've thought about COVID, my perspective has changed on it. COVID has not grown the church. COVID has not shrunk the church. COVID has revealed the church. Her beauties <laughs> and her blemishes. Number five, if you don't like that, number five, be anxious for conviction. <laughs> be anxious for conviction. Matthew 5, uh, 3 says that blessed are those who are poor in spirit. If the truth, truth penetrates your heart and humbles you, that, that's something that you should desire. You need to be scared out of your mind if God's word doesn't affect you like that. Number six, be anxious for persecution. You say, excuse me? <laughs> Jesus promises that those who are persecuted, they'll inherit the kingdom. That's in Matthew chapter 5 verse 10. In fact, the apostles will tell you this way. This is a 2 Timothy 3.12. To not be persecuted, right? The godly will experience persecution. Church, think about our day and age. This is, a, this is one of the good, weird things that is happening in America. As the divide gets greater, right? Between like cultural, nominal 
fake Christianity and real, like, I claim the name of Jesus and obey Him Christianity, here's what happens. If you'll just take a biblical stand, that other group will run to quieten you. And if no one's trying to hush you up, you're not living the life that God wants you to. It will offend them. Sometime it will. It may not be they're coming for your head. But they'll say, can you please stop that? That's offensive. You're right. Sin is offensive to God. It is. Number seven. Be anxious for justification. This is Matthew 19 through 20. Be anxious for justification. Jesus says, hey, you want to enter into the kingdom, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. And everybody said, well, then nobody's getting into heaven, Jesus. (laughs) And what Jesus is alluding to, that means righteousness or salvation is a gift. It's something you receive, not something you earn. And the biblical term for that is justification. God makes you right. He declares you right as a gift because if you're trying to earn it, you never, ever will. And then number eight, be anxious for prayer. Be anxious for prayer. Let your kingdom, what? Come. That's on the lips of every believer. Every believer prays, let your kingdom come, Jesus. Let your kingdom come. You mean to tell me I should carve out time in my work to pray, let your kingdom come? Yeah. Yes, make it a priority. And I want you to think about this. You're going to see this kind of tweeted and put out in front of you. I I don't have time to, to think about the implications of all these statements today. But how would, be, how would being anxious for those eight things? And that's just the first, notice what I did there. I started reading in Matthew, looking for where Jesus talked about the kingdom and applied it to this statement. I'm not even, I'm like a third of the way of the book. Of the New Testament. (laughs) All right? But how would being anxious for those things shape your concerns about your income, job, and lifestyle? If what I'm saying is this if you put those eight things alone before you addressed your income, job, and lifestyle, by the time you got there, what would that look like? And that's what a disciple does. God wants you to entrust your fears to him and just trust his people to help you. I do want you to know this. Here's another weird thing that we have to accept about the church. Let's say there's this little disciple named Hallel. He works you know, out in the field. He's a day laborer in Jesus' day. This is an illustration, right? And he's called away back home to go take care of his mom. She's a widow. That is advancing the kingdom. All right, he's taking care of his mother. But he knows by leaving the field for his day's wage, he's not going to have it taken care of because he's got to go take care of his mother. You know how many times, and I've seen this played out in the, in the church today, you know who ends up helping him in his need? You. They go, hey man, I heard what happened today. Uh, here's some food. In our case, here's a gift card, right? The church just goes, no, no, we take care of our own. We were able to work. I don't need all this. Here's this. You take care of it. The church watches each other's back. Jesus has created this community. One of the greatest ways in which God meets our needs is through one another. He does that. Please, 
Matthew 6 has its place. Please do not. This is what I want you to walk away from with Matthew 6 when it comes to anxiety. This text is not addressing panic disorder. Generalized anxiety disorder. Clinical depression. Bipolar disorder. Obsessive compulsive disorder. You start naming them. This text is not about that. Everybody see that today? This is something that every single one of us can experience at any time. And to use this text to look at somebody who has those, those conditions and say, come on, buttercup. You're weaponizing this text. You're making it speak when it has not spoken to those individuals. And you've made a burden on them. Jesus isn't addressing those things. You have to go to another passage, which we'll look at next week to find how God addresses those types of sins and then the effects of the fall. I do not condemn church members with cancer. I don't look at a person who has cancer and say, man, you must be doing something wrong. Why should I condemn someone with mental illness? I don't understand that at all. Both, as we'll see, their effects of God's curse on a sinful humanity. That we have sinned against God as a whole and cancer and mental illness is now part of our existence. We don't condemn others for having those things. They're not due to spirituality or a lack of faith or anything like that. If your anxiety is more than acute, I, I beg you, I consider it a win today if you got on the phone and scheduled a doctor's appointment. If I freed you going, a Christian can do that? Yes, a Christian can do that. I had a friend, I got, it's funny, it's ironic that through COVID I've told people in some ways we're reaching more people than you could ever imagine. And you're like, really? You look around, because there's probably more, more of the church sitting right in the middle of that aisle than in here, ironically. So I get emails from people like, hey, man, watch the sermon. Hey, I saw this this week. I wanted to ask you about it. And I had a, a brother who messaged the following. I'm just going to give you the gist of it. And I'd like to address this because I see this as a source of anxiety for a believer. And I'll leave you with this. This person wrote, I struggle with anxiety and depression every day. I am treated by a professional. It takes the edge off, but I'm still not me. I love the Lord, and I always feel that I'm not good enough for Him. I know that everyone sins, and I have accepted Jesus, Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I read my Bible multiple times a day and watch you and others online preaching the gospel. I just don't feel worthy. Please help me to understand why, if possible. Thank you, sir. You, know, you get this. This is a guy saying, like, I'm doing everything that a believer would do. Why is this still afflicting me? And, and if I had to encourage, this is an encouragement to that person and anybody else who might feel that same way. This is something that we talk about being about our identity in Christ. And what we say is, what do we believe about ourselves because of what Jesus has done for us? And here's some things I want to encourage that person with and for other ones who are anxious about the state of their holiness and their sinfulness. The truth is this. You are not worthy. You're not worthy. But equally true, you're also not your judge. 
No one else is your judge, and you're not your judge. You've been pardoned by the highest court there is. God is the one who hands down the sentence, and He has declared you righteous. And we cannot set ourselves up in a higher court than Him. Every Sunday, Saturday night, Sunday morning, there's a, there's a pulpit prayer by Martin Luther that I read, and it starts off, I am not worthy to enter the pulpit. I'm not worthy to handle the Word of God. Think about the height of arrogance for any person to step behind a pulpit and say, I can teach God's Word. We shouldn't even know there is a Word from God. He's that holy. But here's the part I like of what Luther says in that prayer, that Jesus has appointed me in mercy. He's already factored his mercy in, going, you know, Josh, I know you're not worthy. But in mercy, I called you. I called you. This is his prerogative. We must recognize the judge's sentence. That in his mercy, he has called you to himself. He wanted that. So may his word sanctify your feelings of unworthiness. God, I'm not worthy. I shouldn't be your child. I shouldn't do this. May God's word sanctify that into service and thanksgiving. Here's the part. I think the devil would love nothing more. He cannot take your salvation away from you, but he can rob you of your service unto God by feelings of unworthiness. And I think what the word of God does is it sanctifies those feelings of unworthiness and says, turn them into gratitude. Turn them into thanksgiving. Jesus is a kind, generous, benevolent master, not a cold, heartless tyrant. He desires your uncoerced praise, not your self-pity. He freed you for gratitude, not for groveling. Not for groveling. I am thankful, dear brother, that God chose not to treat me as I deserve. To this day I am. I couldn't enter into this pulpit if he treated me as I deserved. And I realize I can never repay my Savior and Lord, nor does he ask me to. That's hard. He's not asked me to repay him. God desires that I live in the truth of his word. And what does his word say about me and about you? You are forgiven. You are free. You are credited with the righteousness of your Savior and God, Jesus. So boast in him. Do not boast in your unworthiness. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. Just trying to inch you a little more each week to a better theology of these issues. A couple of things. If you're an unbeliever and you're hearing this message, I understand how an unbeliever, like I mentioned at the beginning of this service, without this information, without this gospel... You have every reason, rational reason, to be anxious and depressed. I believe that. And that's not to say that when you become a believer, those things don't go away. What we're saying, though, is that now we have the Word as our God, the Spirit as our comfort and counselor, and the church as our much-needed help and support in our time of need. We've been resourced and equipped by God for these tumultuous times. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. 
But take heart, I've overcome the world. And he's even overcome this world through the means of grace he's given to us. And so I invite you, repent of your sins. Be anxious for the kingdom. Press into it. Acknowledge you're a sinner and receive that forgiveness, that freedom, that pardon, that promise of eternal life today before it's everlasting too late. Jesus is coming back. The question is, will he come back as your savior or your judge? Real simple. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to encourage you, take a moment to confess your sin to our holy king and receive by faith the promise that you're forgiven. And the moment that you do that, you've begun a relationship with Jesus. And the way we go public about that relationship is we are baptized. When we go under the water, we are saying we believe and identify with Jesus' death, his burial for our sins. And when we come up out of the water, we're saying we believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection for the forgiveness of our sin and eternal life. I am baptizing outdoors next Sunday. Sign up. Text BELIEVE to our text and church number. Go to our website. Click the baptism tab. You can click or you can fill out the tear-off panel. Drop it in the offering plate. We will reach out to you this week. Give us the honor and privilege of baptizing you and initiating you into God's kingdom. The last two things that I've put here in your notes, I did leave you the website for Dr. Gantz, North, uh, North Georgia, Northeast Georgia Christian Counseling website. If you're looking for some professional help, please visit that. But I want to leave you with a prayer. This is from Thomas Akempis. And after I pray this, Brother Rick, will you come and lead us in the last song? And, and feel free to come to the altar and pray this prayer with me. This is beautiful. He says this, Strengthen me by the grace of your Holy Spirit, O God. Give me the power to be strengthened inwardly and to empty my heart of all vain care and anxiety so that I may not be drawn away by many desires, whether for precious things or mean ones, base things. Let me look upon everything as passing and upon myself as soon to pass away with them. Because there is nothing lasting under the sun where all is vanity and affliction of spirit. How wise is he who thinks thus? He says, give me, Lord, heavenly wisdom to learn above all else to seek and find you. To enjoy and love you more than anything and to consider other things as they are, as your wisdom has ordered them. Grant me prudence to avoid the flatterer and to bear patiently with him who disagrees with me. For it is great wisdom not to be moved by the sounds of words, nor to give ear to the wicked flattering siren. Then I shall walk safely in the way I have begun. Will you meet me at the altar and pray that prayer with me? Brother Rick. Take the hymn books and in the back of your hymn books, just as I am. Let's uh, stand and sing that together. Standing as we sing. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God. 
come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcome with open arms, praise God, just as I am. A couple of announcements and then we'll be dismissed as our ushers. You can go ahead and go uh, to the back door. Uh, don't forget, please share the service today, especially even if you were here, go share it. So that those, again, who sometimes just have a hard time finding the website, the Facebook page, the YouTube page. If you see something, just share it, move it forward. Uh, I, I would greatly appreciate that. Don't forget baptism next Sunday. Uh, please sign up if you haven't already. Uh, you can also text BELIEVE to our texting church number, and we'd be delighted to baptize you. We'll remember, we're postponing the business meeting to next Sunday uh, morning. Come back tonight. No VBS tonight, but we will have forerunners of the faith uh, here at, uh, in the sanctuary uh, starting at 6 o'clock. If you have updated info, fill out that tear-off panel, drop it in the offering plate as well. I think that's everything I need to tell you. <laughs> Brother Sam Holbrook, would you close our time in prayer? And I want to thank all of our visitors and those who are watching online for joining us today. Brother Sam, uh, close this, please. listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.